typically causes conflict in your family? Well, I think conflict comes from sometimes we don't listen to one another. We kind of think of our own answer first and what we feel that person should be giving us their answer. Sometimes um, instead of listening with our heart, we listen with our ears. And we come to the table with a preconceived notion of what the person is going to say. So you already have a kind of discontentment with what you're going to hear. So you're kind of listening with an attitude. <laughs> So you're already ready to have that argument. That may not happen if you would just stop and listen to the whole thing. We tend to have opposite styles of conflict resolution. I want to talk about it right away and talk through it until we're done. I tend to shut down initially when conflict arises. I really want to internalize it first um, before discussing it. Misunderstanding or miscommunication or when I go into silent treatment. Is everybody guessing? Miscommunication or not understanding what is meant by silence. When I discipline my son, uh, it's just he and I. I'm a single mom, so it's hard playing both roles. So that's, I would say that would be the most difficult thing for me. If you're a guest with us this morning, just so you know uh, what, what we're doing, uh, we're in the midst of a series that we're calling Modern Family Refrain, and we're just talking about some of the dynamics that occur within uh, family structures, and uh, I've been married 29 years now, and um, I have two kids, but I can tell you this, I am not an expert on the family by any stretch of the imagination, but I do know two things. Uh, one, we're all part of families, right? And two, there are no perfect ones. And if you have a perfect family, would you please leave now? Because we really don't want to, we don't want to talk to you. Uh, there are no perfect families because families are made up of imperfect people. And so in the context of relationship, there's always some level of conflict now and then. And so this morning we want to talk a little bit about conflict and how we deal with it. And uh, I've invited some friends to come and, and, and help us with that. Uh, they're, they're part of our Parkview family, uh, Amy and Trevor Simpson. Uh, uh, Trevor is a counselor, Amy is an editor and uh, uh, author of a recently published book. And so they're going to come and talk with us a little bit about uh, conflict and conflict resolution. So why don't you welcome Amy and Trevor Simpson. Well, they asked us back for the second service and didn't have to go to plan B, so that's a good sign. Thank you. Um, well, obviously, as the video illustrated, family conflict is common. And as Ray said, we all experience family conflict. So if you have conflict in your family, or even if you've had conflict in your family this morning before you even got here, um, you're in great company. In fact, uh, I, we weren't sure at first why they asked us to speak on this topic until we realized that we're really experienced in <laughs> fighting. So not sure how they knew that, but it, it, it fits. Um, now, from a Christian point of view, this conflict is because of something popularly known as the fall of humanity. Um, the fall refers back to the first humans God created who rebelled against God and chose to live for themselves. And since then, we've all been born into a state of rebellion against God. And because of that rebellion, we live under a curse. And that's true even for people who've committed their lives to Christ, for people who followed Christ for a long time. We still live in a world that is under a curse, and we ourselves feel the effects of that curse. Now, someday that curse will be lifted thanks to Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, and we can all look forward to that day. But in the meantime, 
We are broken people. We remain self-centered. We long for control. We seek control usually in ways that run contrary to how God actually created us to function, especially in relationship with one another. And because of the fall, because we're broken people, our relationships are broken, all of them. And in broken relationships, conflict is inevitable. This is true for every relationship, even ones where conflict isn't actually out in the open, uh, because conflict can run under the surface for a long time. But whenever you get two people together, if you have them together long enough, conflict will eventually surface. And in any family, you have at least two people, often more than that, who not only spend a lot of time together, often share a home, take responsibility for one another, do life together, and actually suffer from each other's failures. Our problem isn't with conflict alone. Conflict is okay. How we deal with conflict is self-righteous, self-absorbed, self-preservationist, control-seeking, power-hungry people. That's the problem. Our goal this morning is not to convince you to avoid conflict. Our goal is to help you consider what God says about conflict and how it applies to our families. But before we really get into the message, we feel it's really important that to, to recognize that in some families, barriers exist that really need to be dealt with first. Um, if there's addictions in your family that are active, if there's abuse in your home, um, if there's violence of any kind or perhaps an untreated mental illness, problems like these make families feel unsafe and tremendously unhealthy. Um, so we, we ask to consider reaching out for help um, to get those problems addressed. Parkview has tons of really good resources for you. Um, we have a prayer ministry right here after the service. Um, there's information available in your handouts as well as uh, online and in the back information counter. Uh, please reach out and uh, use the support that is the body of Christ that you can find here at, at Parkview. Now this morning we're going to be talking about God's calling for families and as we do we'll be using some illustrations based on a family we all recognize. Now this is a very dysfunctional family that's really familiar. Wait. Oh. That's the wrong Simpsons. Sorry. There, oh, there we, we go. go. That's much better. All right. <laughs> now, if you're familiar with this iconic television show, you know that the Simpsons are definitely no strangers to family conflict. So we're going to use them to say a few things about how God wants us to handle family conflict in light of our calling. When we talk about God's calling for families, we're really talking about the same calling that God has for all individuals who follow Christ, and that is we are supposed to represent him in our life here on earth. This is really actually the point of our lives. Because Jesus has bought our lives with his own, our lives don't belong to us. We have something, someone actually, far greater to live for. Listen to what the Apostle Paul tells Christians about our calling in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. When we read verses like this, we often assume that these principles are for our interactions with people out there. Oftentimes we forget that they directly apply to our own homes within our own families and, and relationships that are very close to us. Um, they apply to the way you respond to your boring husband, your irritating wife, 
I'm not talking about you. <laughs> um, irresponsible kids, um, your invasive father-in-law, your selfish siblings, they, they apply to everybody. They probably even apply to our dog. Uh, these verses present a picture of the way a family should function. When Paul wrote, live a life worthy of your calling, he was telling Christians to live up to the privilege we have to represent Christ here on earth. Each of us is called to do that, and our families are too. Let's talk about four different ways our family conflicts help us fill this calling. One of the things that uh, we are called to is to become more like Jesus. God loves us the way we are, and one of the ways he shows his love for us is by not leaving us the way we are. A lot of people think Christianity is about following rules, being good, and trying to make God happy with us, but that's actually not the way it works. Instead, God takes us the way we are, and he begins to transform us, making us more like the people he actually wants us to be. When people commit their lives to Jesus and follow him, he gives us a tremendous gift, an unbelievable gift. The Holy Spirit of God actually dwells in us and begins doing this work of transformation. In his letter to Christians at Galatia, the Apostle Paul talked about some of the things that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives when he does this work of transformation. In Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now when Paul talks about this fruit, he does so in direct contrast to the another kind of fruit that actually comes naturally for us when we're living without the Holy Spirit. And that fruit is not beautiful. It's not good. Uh, but these good qualities, these fruits of the Holy Spirit, uh, they're not described as things we should just try to do more often. These are actually things that begin to come easy, more easily and become more natural for us as God's Holy Spirit fills us and changes us to make us people that we couldn't be on our own. Christianity is not about being good. It's about recognizing that we aren't good enough and we can't be good enough without Jesus. And once we do that, God will begin to change us. That process is called sanctification. The Christian life is about welcoming and pursuing the process of sanctification in your life. And Paul described this in Galatians as well, or he referred to it in Galatians 5.5. 5. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. This describes the process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, and it's basically walking toward a more righteous version of yourself. It's not something we do, it's something God does, but we do play a role in sanctification. We can resist the changes he brings, or we can welcome those changes, and we have a responsibility to pursue a relationship with Christ and welcome the changes he brings in our lives, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, guiding us to be better people within our families. And that's true even in family conflict, and maybe especially in family conflict. Being more like Jesus isn't just something that we can do. Yeah, we can be nicer. We can bless others through kind words, through service. We can try to love unconditionally. Um, we can extend grace and forgiveness, each of which are Christ-like responses, and that really to, do truly bless others. When we're talking about the process of sanctification, as it's described in Galatians, we're talking about a permanent maturity that becomes a part of our fabric, an eternal imprinting that literally makes us more like Jesus. Um, let me 
give you a little story about a guy named Homer. Okay. Homer has issues, lots of them. He's irresponsible. He's short-tempered. He's selfish. He's gluttonous. He's violent. A whole host of other derogatory adjectives. In short, Homer is a fool. And because he's a cartoon, he, that makes him a lovable fool, at least as an iconic figure in America. But a fool nonetheless. <laughs> I mean, how many of you wouldn't want to be in your kitchen right now in your underwear looking at a donut? I mean, I know I would. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm nervous, like right now, I like to imagine the audience in their underwear eating donuts. Yeah. Helps me calm down. <laughs> um, where am I? Okay. Um, all right, so we have this fool here, Homer, but let, let's say he decides to become a Christian. He wants to become a Christ follower. And he uh, makes that commitment, and what is he probably going to be the next day? He's probably going to be a Christian fool. He's got some growing to do. Uh, a fool nonetheless. And he has begun a journey as a new creation that will mold him and shape him into being more like Christ. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we really kind of sit back, we'll acknowledge that we're all fools. We all have the, capa- the capacity, capacity to be a certain version of Homer. That's what living under the curse of the fall brings us. Some of us are just a little bit less foolish than others. Um, so the active Christ follower moves towards holiness. It's unavoidable. And as a therapist, I, I frequently hear reports like this. Um, if he'd only change, if she'd only change. I told her from the very beginning, what you see is what you get. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. They are overreacting, he or she's overreacting. It's no big deal. They just need to learn how to deal with it. Here's the bottom line, though, when it comes to Christ followers. They follow Christ. We engage in practices and habits, as we went through a series um, a couple months ago, um, to put ourselves in positions to be open to the changes God wants to make in us. A practical suggestion, make new habits. And here's a little Christian therapist secret. Um, they're actually very therapeutic in nature. They're not only good for our soul, they're good, they're good for our mind and our body. And here's just a few habits that will make you grow. That's unavoidable. Some are very common and some are well-known, like study, worship, and prayer. Others are less familiar and perhaps more challenging, like simplicity or silence or solitude. The sole purpose of attaining these habits is to grow in your knowledge your understanding and your application of what it means to follow Christ, to to be who you've been created to be. And as you do that, we'll also relate differently to our families. We'll relate differently to people that we have conflict with in a way that represents Christ. Another aspect of our calling is that we are called to be disciplined. And when I mentioned the fruit of the Spirit earlier, one specific type of that fruit we mentioned is self-control. Now, the Holy Spirit... Uh, in that work of transformation, doesn't just take over our will and make us into perfect robots who always do the right thing. Instead, he works on the inside and changes our desires and enables us to exercise more discipline in our lives. But we are expected to embrace this quality and practice it in relationships with everyone, and that includes our families. Several Bible passages speak of the need to exercise self-control, specifically in what we say to other people. And some of the most powerful and convicting verses on that topic are in the book of James. I'll just read a few of them. From James 3, verses 3 through 10. 
When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by, mo by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Here's another passage from James 1, 19 and 20 and verse 26. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Now, obviously, um, these passages, and we all know it from experience, too, uh, would say that our words are powerful and can do great damage. But with God's help, we can learn to control our tongues, exercise self-control, and choose to speak productively rather than destructively. And ultimately, it comes down to choice. Do we choose to be molded and transformed by God this day? As we become more like Jesus, it becomes easier because Jesus, um, with us, allows us to live more abundantly when he's in us. For example, it's remarkable how individuals can deal with conflict differently in different settings. When we're in public, when we're at work or at school, sometimes we can keep it together pretty well. Um, somebody might offend us and hurt us, and we can walk forward, not nitpicking, not being self-centered. We can act mature and impressive. However, when we get home later that day and somebody leaves their socks on the floor, somebody forgets to do something that they said they were going to do, oftentimes hurtful, angry, and sometimes rageful reactions may occur. Um, why is that? We must choose to submit to the Spirit's work and God's rules and instructions and create healthy habits and a healthy system at home. Within the context of talking about choices, here are some practical fighting well considerations. Emotions get a bad rap in our culture, especially if you're a man. Whether you're an over-emotional woman or an emotionally vacant man, when we talk about emotional expressions, sometimes people freak out. It makes us feel uncomfortable. We can't stop ourselves from, express or from experiencing emotion. However, we can suppress them at the expense of ourselves and at the, people, at the expense of the people around us. All of us have them, and, they're all, and we're always communicating something regardless um, of what we intend to communicate. So be mindful of these two truths when it comes to conflict. Um, and when you're giving feedback or receiving feedback, you know, during those discussions of conflict, um, keep these in mind. No one can disagree with what you feel. It's always true. It's always 100% accurate. What you feel is true. And anyone can disagree with your choices and opinions. So when you're trying to draw somebody toward you, to your point, and you're trying to persuade them, 
Talk about what you feel first in a way that they can't disagree with. Fighting well is, is a series of skill sets that re- reflect the mind and the heart of God. Um, third, we are called to put others first. It doesn't take a social scientist to realize that all of us want to be number one. In fact, from the beginning of our lives, we really long for power and control and self-preservation, whether we realize it or not. So when we're in conflict or competition with another person, it just doesn't come naturally for us to put the other person first. But that's exactly what God asks us to do, and he knows what he's asking of us. He knows that's hard for us. In his letter to the Ephesian church, the Apostle Paul gave several instructions for what it means to live as a Christian. And one of those instructions was the instruction to submit to one another. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a simple verse, but a difficult thing to do. Some people like to talk about the word submit, only in the context of marriage and only when we're talking about wives. But this instruction actually applies to everyone in the family and everyone in God's family, everyone in the church. Now, to be clear, submission does not mean allowing someone else to abuse you. It doesn't mean allowing another person to be the Lord of your life. That role is reserved for Christ alone. In Christian relationships, people submit to one another. They both put each other first One does not exercise dominance over the other. In his letter to the Philippian church, Paul instructed people to follow the example of Jesus who put the whole world before himself. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used as his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If your family consistently followed Christ's example of giving up power and putting others first, imagine how your family conflicts might change. Submission means when you're in an argument, winning that argument is not the priority. It's vitally important to recognize that our temptation to fight for power and control in a relationship is unhelpful. Um, It's actually hurtful and and very unhealthy. Um, Look at the other person as a teammate and not the enemy. That that saying has some, some credence. As we put others first and try to honor and respect what they may be feeling and experiencing, we are way more likely to find resolution. Giving up the goal of winning and instead being fully and wholeheartedly invested in resolution. One simple way to look at the practice of putting others first in conflict is to ask yourself this question. Are we engaged in a series of monologues where we're more interested in expressing what we feel and waiting for them to draw a breath so we can finally talk? And then they go, and then we go back and forth, series of monologues, not a lot of listening. Or... Are we actively involved in a dialogue, a reciprocal back-and-forth conversation with reflection um, and with a sincere desire to understand each other and resolve conflict? Healthy conflict recognizes that confrontation is an invitation to dialogue. It's not something, conflict isn't necessarily something we need to be afraid of. Healthy conflict is an invitation to enter into dialogue. A simple acronym, acronym <laughs> that hides in dialogue 
that aids in dialogue and helps us practice the ministry of presence with others is to present yourself in a solar way. You sit squarely, be open. You lean forward, you have eye contact, and you relax. It's not solar. There's no talking involved. It's simply practicing the ministry of presence. Look at Homer's getting a little more sanctified and more like Jesus. He's getting it right. That sanctification in action. Finally, we are called to bless each other. The Bible contains many counterintuitive instructions for handling conflict. Consider these three verses, which can actually be very hard to follow. Proverbs 15.1, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 1 Peter 3.9, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. And the king of relationship rules, popularly known as the golden rule, found in Matthew 7.12. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. We can choose how we respond to people who hurt us or simply disagree with us. In every conflict, we have a choice to bless or to curse, to either escalate a conflict or to work toward peace. And if we treat people lovingly with God's help, even when they hurt us, we will bless them and we'll, always, we'll also encourage them to bless us back because it's hard to consistently be mean to a kind person. Living the golden rule is imperative in fighting well. When we submit to the Holy Spirit, his fruit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, it will manifest itself in our lives. When we follow the golden rule, we have no choice but to treat the individual across from us with honor and respect. God blesses the other person through us. Sarcastic words and tone disappear. The silent treatment disappears. Defensiveness disappears. Hyperboles like you always and you never disappear. We stop interrupting and our tone remains respectful. We literally are more concerned about understanding the individual across from us than we are about winning. Now, empathy is a skill. It's a skill of feeling with another person, um, feeling with the other person. And that's being, that would be keenly pursued. Simply slowing down the conversation and dialoguing works best. And here's an easy formula to use if you're really, really bad at showing empathy. If you're bad at feeling with somebody and you're having a hard time getting um, into a dialogue, try this trick. So what I hear you saying is you feel blank because blank. That's an invitation to dialogue. And if you're really, really bad at it and you screw it up, it gives them an opportunity to correct you. It shows your partner that you are there and you're trying to understand them better. They'll correct you and, and you can rest in, in knowing that you're one step closer to resolution. You're putting their needs before yours. The opportunity, and the opportunity for a blessed restoration increases. God is glorified. And as we bless our family members, this blessing becomes a part of who we are. Um, we have more to give. Our family becomes a blessing to others. <laughs> there you go. See, that's a sanctified family right there. <laughs> um, I'd like to um, just sh- um, summarize a, a quick story um, um, by Walter Wenger, and he's an author, and he tells of interactions he had with the same profession, two different people within the same profession. Uh, the first interaction happens, and Um, It's very simple. It seems insignificant completely. Um, The gentleman shakes his hand and says, thank you. 
Um, second interaction um, his, that was completely opposite. Uh, the individual snapped at him, and he was innocent and blameless in this exchange. Um, and he left hurt. Uh, the first situation, he was edified. The second situation, he was hurt. In fact, in the first situation, when he steps into his car, he's smiling, and his wife is asking, why are you smiling? And it, it occurred to him that the man who shook his hand and said thank you had built him up. And he ends the story with, with these last couple of paragraphs that I, I really would like to share with you. You say, but how can I serve the Lord? I'm not important. What I do is so common and of little consequence. Anyone can do what I do. But I say to you, every time you meet another human, you have an opportunity. It's a chance at holiness. For you will do one of two things then. Either you will build him up or you will tear him down. Either you will acknowledge that he is or you'll make him sorry that he is. Sorry at least that he is there in front of you. You will create or you will destroy. And the things you dignify or deny are God's own property. They are made, each one of them, in his own image. And I say to you, there are no useless minor meetings. There are no dead-end jobs. There are no pointless lives. Swallow your sorrows, forget your grievances, and all the hurt your poor life has sustained. And turn your face truly to the human before you and let her, for one pure moment, shine. Think of her important, and then she will suspect that she is fashioned by God. So here's a principle for fighting well. Just because you didn't start the fight doesn't mean you don't have a responsibility to end it well. You don't necessarily need to be afraid of fighting when you're fighting well, and your family can practice fighting well and get better at it. Remember, you are a work in progress, and your family is a work in progress as well, and your relationships can get better. Your family has a calling from God, and you have a calling from God within the context of your family. And to appropriately respond to what God has done, we need to embrace our calling. As Christ followers, we are called to become more like Jesus. As Christ followers, we are called to be disciplined. As Christ followers, we are called to put other people first. As Christ followers, we are called to bless others. Christian families are a primary place of expression of who God is, and it's a tool God uses to minister to the world. Our, our families are vitally important in that, in that ministry. We're called to glorify God in our interactions. And conflict actually is an opportunity to fulfill that calling. It's not something we need to be afraid of. It's a chance at holiness. Thank you. Hey, thank you uh, for being with us this morning. I want to thank uh, Trevor and Amy for helping us with that topic. So thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. I hope, uh, I hope you can come back next week. I'm going to deal with the, the issue of uh, legacy. So uh, maybe you can join us. That'd be great. Uh, if uh, maybe you find yourself uh, in, a, in, in a relationship or in a situation where there is a lot of conflict, maybe it's at your workplace. I mean, I don't know. Uh, but uh, we're all imperfect people, so conflict follows us around, and maybe you're just having a really hard time. Following the service, we have some of our prayer team folks who will be up front. Just come down, let them pray with you about that, and uh, they're here for you, okay? Also, at the end of the series, um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a panel up here during the service responding to questions that you guys uh, are asking about family dynamics and all those kind of things. So if you have a question about relationships or anything that relates to the series, QR code, code the bulletin, uh, and you can 
can just pop in your question and we'll, uh, we'll put that in the list or you can send an email to us. You can even write it down on a guest card and drop it at the info center. Somehow just get your question to us and we'll, we'll have that panel res- try and respond to it, okay? That's at the end of the series. And also running concurrent with this series, at least starting in a, in a week and a half, on Wednesday nights we have a special uh, class, Strengthening the Bond. It's a marriage class and so we encourage couples to sign up for it. Uh, it's going to be taught um, by a number of, of people in the, uh, from the congregation, experts related to uh, the family, and, um, and so I think you'll find it really helpful, so that's there for you as well, okay? All right, great. I hope you guys have a great day. Let me pray for you, and then we'll be dismissed. Uh, thank you, Lord, for um, all that you've given us in life, for our relationships, for our families. Uh, as imperfect as we are, they are good, healthy things, and you've called us to healthy relationships. And um, part of that responsibility of them being healthy rests on us, on how we respond and how we uh, treat those around us. We also recognize that by the way we love each other, uh, it demonstrates to the world that, that we are yours. And so this week, uh, as your church leaves the building, as we go into our, um, our, our week, to our jobs, our schools, back to our families, uh, as we interact with each other, may we do so with grace and with love and in so doing uh, represent Jesus well. May your hand of grace and peace now rest on your people, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.